Welcome to Attached, the special book club edition. I am Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee. And I'm Dr. Sarah Woods out of UT Southwestern. Our wonderful uh, Jacob Priest is at home celebrating the birth of his wonderful new little baby boy. Yay! So special congratulations to um, Jacob and Chelsea. Uh, We cannot wait to see you on the next episode you get one break <laughs> <laughs> just kidding <laughs> so this summer we're discussing three books one for each month june july and august so to check out more details about our special book club please visit our website attachedpodcast.com we also have discussion questions up on the webpage. Um, we would love for you to answer them and send them to us so we can talk about what you think of the, about the book in addition to what we think about it too. Um, But first up for this month of June is a book called The Relationship Cure by John Gottman and Joan DeClaire. Uh, A very bold title, if I may say, The Cure for apparently all relationships. Yes, I kept looking for, Um, I kept looking for what the bottom line answer was. What is, have we cured things yet? But yeah. What's the cure? What's the quick prescription for this cure? (laughs) Um, so let's first kind of dig in and talk about what this um, book is about, what we liked about it, um, and what we heard from people about what they liked um, as well. So from my perspective, I think what I liked most is this concept of bids, um, particularly paying attention to bids. So maybe back up a little bit. Bid is how people um, kind of reach out for wanting conversation. Um, Gottman and Declare talk about how we're all social creatures and how we all want to interact with each other, but we don't know how to necessarily always start that interaction. So bid is uh, what they have defined as how you start that interaction. Mm. Um, and what I think I liked about this book is kind of like that bids sometimes aren't obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and to strategies to try and pay attention to them and respond to to bids yeah yeah this idea that um bidding for this emotional connection is really sometimes very vulnerable process it it involves taking emotional risk and because of that they can become really ambiguous how we communicate our needs to other people can be really vague or unclear and so being intentional about being really more direct about that uh, seems like a really easy takeaway and a really important point. Yeah, and and also an easy takeaway, but it can be challenging oh, too, yeah, right? Sure. Imagine like a, a more fraught relationship or a newer relationship. And it was interesting how they kind of applied this concept of a bid, mm-hmm. which I believe he originally found in Romantic Partners, yeah. to a wide spectrum of relationships, mm-hmm. including um, parent-child relationships, but also working relationships, and also new friendships and uh, new romantic partners, like dating and things like that, mm-hmm. and how this bid is kind of the uh, crooks of all healthy relationships. Yeah. Would you say that that's what they're kind of positing? Well, when done well, it right. is associated with healthier, happier, more satisfying relationships, but uh, it's found in all relationships, I think is his point, and they vary in how clear and direct they are and also how we respond to them, how we pick up on them. 
Yeah, I agree. I think um, when you mentioned that bids can be um, very challenging, that just just because we understand what they are and the fact that it's really important that we pay attention to how we are um, turning towards our partners, um, that it would be challenging to pay attention to, to think about how to shift, but not equal in all those kinds of relationships. If you're if you're thinking about those workplace scenarios that they're describing, um, some of those relationships have a definite power hierarchy that would make right. bidding for attention or seeking for praise or validation or to have your new ideas heard or to work on a team be really tricky and complicated with other kinds of power politics. Yeah, and I guess this is kind of getting into another section, but sometimes I think work relationships are and maybe should be qualitatively different mm-hmm. than friend and romantic relationships Mm -hmm. that intimacy that we want and hope for in romantic and friendships Mm -hmm. and family relationships um, maybe aren't what work relationships are or should be Mm -hmm. or could be or 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 whatever and and again that might depend on the work environment and and the the person but it's interesting how they did translate it to all types of relationships even though relationships can be very 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 different yep Yes, absolutely. How I connect with my six-year-old should probably be very different than how I connect with my supervisor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and also your husband. Right. Those right. are all very three very different yes. relationships. Legally, legally three. defined very differently. I'm not inventing that. There's like strict rules about a lot of that. Mm, yes. So why? <laughs> it's exactly the most important takeaway of this entire story this whole book that's what you want to check there are laws that regulate how we can connect with one another and we must pay attention to those that's where Gottman was headed yes yeah that's where that was his main point that was his main takeaway um but look at us mm-hmm. just uh making things crazier than he probably yes. intended um, and his team the name of the game. his team just turned this episode right off <laughs> oh that's funny well, the other thing I, th- I I think is really important is that it's a two-part process he's talking about, um, which I kind of personally feel like sometimes gets lost in the structure of this book that can feel really about mm. the individual reader and what the individual reader can do different. So I do think it's important to bring back to this core idea that these authors have about it's not just about emotional bids and how we want to share emotional information to feel connected but it's also about how we respond to people and that there's a core human need uh, to feel like we matter and so we are looking for evidence from other people that that they're listening to us that they understand us that they care about us and so it's really important not just to think about how we try to get people's attention and how to communicate our emotional needs to them but also how we respond to people's bids when they make them and that starts with even recognizing that bids for emotional connection are happening right so it's like a almost a a three-step process Mm. recognize the bid Mm. Uh, respond in an effective way mm-hmm. and then the other person respond mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. so it's like a system of, of, back inter- of interaction yeah. of back and yeah. forth yeah um and i think uh i'm interested in kind of your thoughts about i mean he talks about three different kinds of responding 
the turning toward, mm-hmm. which he describes as really being engaged and this really healthy, mindful reaction to people bidding for connection. But he also talks about turning against, which is really being very um, conflictual, argumentative, belligerent, right. and turning away, which is really more about being preoccupied and ignoring people's bids or kind of just disregarding them entirely. Um, and I was curious, he talks about this process of turning away sometimes being the most detrimental to relationships and really uh, resulting in people becoming defensive or hostile or just not rebidding at all. And these gender effects that he thinks are tied to this process um, that are really about husbands turning towards spouses more when they're in a happy marriage, wives turning towards their spouse, whether or not their marriage is happy, um, wives suppressing their feelings when their partners turn against them. It was kind of these um, gender effects that I was curious about how much science was supporting that and, and whether whether that matters, I guess, if you see yourself in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's uh, obviously we believe that the science does matter. But if you do see yourself in it, I think that also is important mm-hmm. because an N of one, a person of one still mm-hmm. matters. Mm-hmm. Um I think that the gender effects could potentially be somewhat extrapolated beyond Mm -hmm. um, what his data says, but we do know that there are gender differences in in relationships, right? Um, There are the more traditional marriages, and then there are the more egalitarian Mm -hmm. marriages, and both can be happy relationships, right, just depending on what both partners wanting in a relationship. But also we know women in society, in particular our Western culture, are very uh, socialized Mm -hmm. to be the minder of the family, to be the person who regulates the emotions in in the family. Mm -hmm. And this kind of goes back to one of our, almost one of our first episodes where it was the cognitive division of, of labor, where the women in the household kind of managed in their minds yeah. the um, day-to-day work of what needs to be done mm-hmm. in the household. And I think in that also includes that emotional regulation of, of the family. Yeah. yeah. So I think that there is evidence that a lot of this emotional work, per, and which could be potentially be applied to the bidding process does land on on women more Mm -hmm. so in in the family Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily where it should lie Mm -hmm. i think men can have the responsibility and the obligation to also pick up this bidding process because also just being mindful and aware of the bidding process i think can really affect change this this these aren't like huge conversational changes Mm -hmm. it can also be just small things like paying attention Mm -hmm. to a bid not getting too caught up in your in your day-to-day um own stuff and your day-to-day we're all super busy but i think that that does not necessarily have a a gender label we all can be better about paying attention and picking up on on bids and also making bids as well moving out of automatic pilot mode into being more intentional yeah i think um that was a takeaway for me in terms of how important it is to do some of this work before conflict starts or before problems arise and that being intentional can help to kind of um get your shit together before shit hits the fan (laughs) (laughs) yeah and like having that strong uh relationship and understanding can really buffer against the negative impacts of of conflict or or disagreement i mean they say that all couples disagree and they all have conflicts 
100% true. But some couples have that that buffer and that buildup of um, positive emotion mm-hmm. that they can handle going through those more conflictual, harder to mm-hmm. have conversations with more ease because they have that history of positive bids mm-hmm. in, in the re- in the relationship. Mm-hmm. But I'm also curious what what you think, Sarah, about the gender differences that they they made or sinuated. Is that a fancy word? Um, I mean, I think my probably my um, impression was in the question that um, I'm not exactly sure how supportive this is by data and that probably if we're thinking about how we respond to other people's bids for connection, being belligerent and argumentative is never appropriate, whether or not data show (laughs) that wives will especially react as pulling away and withdrawing and suppressing their feelings. So one of our listeners wrote in and said that they really liked the fact that when discussing the bids, the author make it the authors make it obvious that they can be small actions. Mm-hmm. I think it emphasizes that relationships aren't all about grand gestures mm-hmm. and that small everyday things matter a lot, mm-hmm. including being aware of our our actions. Mm-hmm. So these bids that they talk about, I think it's a really good point. They're not these big grand. Mm-hmm gestures Mm -hmm. Um, and I my mind goes to pop culture naturally (laughs) and that's kind of what we see a lot in like romantic comedies and romantic things is like they might be you know a couple might be in a fight and then one person just does this grand gesture and it and it fixes everything Mm -hmm. so we have this notion that grand gestures Mm -hmm. are what makes a relationships through this lens of, of pop culture but what this book is actually saying and what research is actually saying <laughs> is that it's actually an accumulation of very, very small, sometimes daily, multiple times a day, uh, bids for attention and responsivity to the, those bids over time that really makes a very strong relationship. Yeah. yeah. But to that point, <laughs> that movie would probably be kind of dull. Right. <laughs> right. It's just one long text message conversation. <laughs> I used an, I used emojis. Yay. I can count. Yeah. No, I did have a, a friend who's reading along kind of reflect on like, oh, so my text message conversations with my parents back and forth, like it feels like it matters. And this book is sug- like it. Yeah. That yeah. It, that matters too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Responding to people's text messages yes. does does matter oh, so something i should um, maybe implement better in my own life is that what you're, was that just like a really on the sly recommendation <laughs> i honestly was thinking of my husband sure so. sure that didn't feel pointed at all <laughs> that's really really funny um you're right sarah everything is about that's you. right <laughs> that is my takeaway from this book i'm allowed to feel like it's all about me right that's what john Godwin would suggest uh-huh yep. uh-huh yep. Yep. oh that's funny So next, let's talk about um, were there pieces of this book that you thought you might try to implement into your own life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were a few things that came up for me. I think um, uh, even though I I agree with some of what maybe we've alluded to so far, that though the data that are being described here are mostly about romantic couples and then some of these ideas are extrapolated into other kinds of relationships i did yeah. i did like the focus on how we can think about bids for attention communication being developmentally appropriate and something children need to do and therefore um 
a responsibility of parents and caregivers to think about how we attend to and respond to those things. And so I, um, I think it would be really personally important for me to think about how I'm attending to my six-year-old's bids um, because she's making them in lots of different ways all the time. And working from home right, right now has really challenged my notion of boundaries and what that looks like. And so when bids are happening during what I would typically consider my usual work day, I am definitely more preoccupied, probably doing too much um, accidental, incidental ignoring or disregarding or kind of um, quick responses where I'm not really tuning in and attending to her. So it definitely made me think about, especially given um, quarantine life, uh, how I can be more yeah. intentional intentional about um, turning towards her rather than turning away by being so preoccupied. I agree. I think that was definitely one of the things I'm going to try and implement is is being more uh, aware of um, bids from my my kids. Um, that's something that um, when you have so when work demands so much from you, mm-hmm. it's something that is easy to push aside and say, oh, I can talk to them at dinner mm-hmm. or, or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but um also this book made me really think about uh my work environment yeah so i've been work i i i don't and this has been historically for most of my um adult life work kind of stays work and i'm cordial and friendly to people but i don't necessarily have a whole lot of work friends outside of of work and I just started a new job and at this new job several people have commented and these are kind of people who maybe would be classified as mentors mm. that maybe I'm being perceived as not friendly oh. or yeah or you know I need to be part of I might I might be starting to be perceived as not being part of the team when oh. I I see myself more as like working really, really hard to get grants and publications for the college. Mm. Things just look so much different at this university Mm. than my past jobs. Mm. So it made me really think, Mm. have I been missing a bunch of bids from my coworkers Mm. um, because I've been so occupied in trying to get work done? what do those bids look like and what's an appropriate way to respond right. so that that's something that i'm definitely going to take from this book yeah. and apply it more to my work life mm-hmm. and see how i can be um uh, uh respond to bids mm-hmm. that both feel um um, that both satisfy what people seemingly are wanting, but also at the same time feel genuine right, to me. Right. I'm not going to give of myself yeah. in a way that feels disingenuine or I feel uncomfortable with because I think that that would you could see that. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I see, oh, I'm missing something. Maybe mm-hmm. I need to meet people halfway with, with these bids. And I'll tell you honestly, I don't know at all what these bids look like. So I'm definitely going to have to pay a, a hell of a lot more attention yeah. here to whatever these bids are. Yeah. Uh, but it's something that I endeavor doing after once school starts back. I'm yeah. just really trying to pay attention in the work environment, these these bids. Yeah. But I do think it um, part of what you're describing is, uh, again, this dyadic process or this back and forth process where you're saying you want to attend more to these bids for connection and, and think about what does it mean for these people that I work with? 
with now to be part of a team. But it's also possible that on their end, there might be opportunities for them to think about how they're intentionally um, creating meaning and creating shared meaning in their workplace, which is another step that they talk about in this book. Because if there are rituals that they're not communicating clearly that you should be participating in, uh, that's part of their uh, how they can be more clear in their bids, especially for a junior colleague, right? That if there yeah. are um, covert rules about how we connect in the workplace and you just need to be able to read that, then they're also not maybe being clear in their bid and could and could be doing that, which would also allow you uh, to have an easier time thinking about how to turn towards the ones that are fit for you. Right, exactly. So you, what I hear you saying <laughs> is that I need to send a copy of this book to... Um, all of the sure. deans and associate yeah, deans sure. and all my mentors. <laughs> that that'll go over well, right? Sure. sure. Yeah. Anon- yeah, anonymously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just send it anonymously. <laughs> yes, it's one Hopefully of those. they don't listen to this right. podcast. <laughs> right. It's a it's a really clear bid to send an anonymous book to a colleague. <laughs> And just hope that they know who sent it and why. Or this podcast could be seen as a really aggressive <laughs> right, bid right. for them to communicate well, to Well, you know, one piece I really did like about this book, though, is this idea of unspoken pain. Unspoken pain is a bid for <laughs> connection. And people should really be observing and acting on that if they really want to care for you. So, um, yeah, I just, I just justified your... I don't know, staying home more, getting less involved. I know that's not right. That's not the takeaway. That's not good. I did also attempt to um, to love map my husband. I don't actually don't think that John Gottman intends love maps to be a verb there. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to love map you. Right, I'm going I'm to do that. And I think when I... So I, I, know we've, I know we've talked about love maps before, but can we quick go over what that is? Sure. I bet we could. I bet we could. <laughs> hold on, hold on Kylie. Let me just open to that page. Uh, so, um, uh, love map is something that I learned about first when, and probably you did too, when I was first training to be a couples therapist. And because it's part yeah. of, really part of John Gottman's kind of core ideas about how we understand and connect with our partners. Um, but and couples therapist therapists are almost exclusively obsessed with John Gottman. Oh, are they? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I learned about it then. I'm relearning it now. <clears throat> Excuse me. It seems relevant. Um, so love map is a term that he uses for the part of your brain where you store all the relevant information about a loved one's life. So it's this idea that if I'm more familiar with the details of my partner's life, internal, external, historical plans for the future, then we can have happier, more stable relationships. So probably... 15 or so years ago when I was learning this for the first time, I'm fairly certain I love mapped my then fiance. Uh, And then uh, a week or so ago, um, we were thinking about uh, my daughter and I, what we could do to celebrate Father's Day. And uh, she's really into cake videos on Instagram. And oh my so gosh, we, mine is yeah, too. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, to be fair, I find them also entertaining. <laughs> I'm not opposed when she requests, can we watch cake videos? Okay, fine. It's better than playing pretend. Oh, there's those bids I need to pay attention to. Uh-oh. <laughs> I came back around real fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as we're not pretending to make a yeah, cake, I'm good. Right, yeah. Yes, that's right. Can I eat it when I'm done? Fantastic. But so um, I said, okay, yeah, we should definitely 
cupcakes are a great idea. Let's think about what flavor we want to make. And she said, well, daddy's favorite is, is chocolate cupcakes with vanilla frosting. And I said, no, his favorite are vanilla cupcakes with chocolate frosting. And she said, no, whenever we go to get cupcakes, he gets the chocolate one with vanilla frosting. And I started to think to myself, oh my God, do I know this man at all? <laughs> because I had I had no idea. I was 100% firm in my belief. And then she said it and she described it. And I thought, oh my God. Um, and so when I was rereading or thinking about these love maps, I thought, oh, I should probably answer, um, practice answering some of these questions. Because do I, do I even know my husband uh, who I've been with for over 20 years? Um, and while cupcakes are a small, minor indicator of what I might know about him the questions that are included in this book are much more in depth and I struggled (laughs) I struggled so um I shared with my husband that I was love mapping him and I was going to ask him to love map me as well because I want to know what he knows about me and my 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 uh, fear is he knows the answers to all 50 of these. <laughs> and I got about 30. Oh. And I, um, so anyway, so I think probably, even though we've been together for a really long time, it probably is a good idea to think about can we, do we understand our partner's internal lives and ideas and dreams as well as their experiences and their families and what they hope to achieve and what they're enjoying about life and what they're not enjoying about life and that that can change over time and that it's another way to be intentional about revisiting what we know and don't know about our partner to get to get to learn them. Yeah and it could be a fun thing to get to learn your partner all over again. It's like you're dating somebody new. Well Wait, that's not the point. <laughs> no, it is. No, I think that's right. <laughs> chapter chapter eight, it said that. For sure. Chapter eight, pretend your partner's someone that's else. Right. <laughs> role play is a form of bidding. Turn towards. Turn towards. Absolutely. Turn towards this new person. So one of our um, listeners wrote in and said what they're going to try and, and implement is the standing dates. Um, standing dates and maintaining old slash making new rituals. So standing dates, I've recently actually started doing this with a few of my friends because of quarantine. And I found that committing to a time, date, and place, even if it's virtual, is is great. Um, and then the authors <laughs> talked about this a lot with like old friends mm-hmm. in particular, like meeting up at a certain mm-hmm. time. Um, and that really helps maintain those relationships mm-hmm. over time, even if you have to cancel or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in that section, they also talked about um, book clubs mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. good book clubs are for, it doesn't necessarily have to be two friends, but it can be a group of friends mm-hmm. and maintaining these um, relationships. So if this book had been written more recently, he would have included create a podcast <laughs> so that your, your friend get-togethers count is something yeah. you record them and you put them out into the world. <laughs> All right. I think my standing dates with friends are like, you want to write a paper with me? Um, I, I mean, I don't know what your sad noises are about. I want to attend to those nonverbals because I was just encouraged to in chapter two. However, I feel like that's a really positive way to connect with friends because I've never, what was his other example? Meeting on the corner for my morning run. I thought to myself, oh my God, sorry, sorry, future friends. It's never going to be my life. I'll meet you for a morning uh, stroll, a morning cup of coffee. Sure. Anyway, at one at some point in my life recently, I realized that the people that I tend to have the most communication with and the closest to are the people that I actively write papers with. So I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, I need to um, catch up with my friend Sessan. 
more and i was like oh i should i should just write a paper with her then we could we can work together more i'm like oh yes, that's probably not the healthiest way to maintain relationships so i disagree <laughs> let me reframe that for you okay. using solely information from the relationship cure right so if you're going to create shared meaning and be intentional oh, yeah. about how you connect in that way I think writing a paper together is a very important academic ritual. You only do it's that true. with the people that you trust the most. I mean, I think you messaged me the other day, oh, we should think about who else we can write in this paper. And we both were like, yeah, but only people who are nice. Because we only, <laughs> we only, <laughs> it's true. We only want to do that with people who we trust and who we like and who we also, I think, can um, give ideas back and forth in an exchange that's, not critical and that's safe but yeah. you can still be vulnerable that's really i think an academic ritual picking up on every single piece of this relationship quote cure. oh my gosh you're welcome then i will not seek to uh, change that at all i'm just gonna continue to even my friends not in academia i will say would you like to write a paper with me it's clearly the only way i know how to connect to people <laughs> poetry we can do poetry or would you like to do poetry or art class i don't know um <laughs> so and the other one was maintaining old making new rituals i don't think i ever thought about it the same way the authors framed it but i particularly liked that they can can help us stay connected even when in conflict um, and so they talked about um the authors rituals are, are or can be big things like what you have for Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving or whatever your holiday is, but also these small things. They talked about a couple having mm-hmm. um, coffee mm-hmm. after a meal or tea after a meal um, when their couples, when their when their children left the table. Mm-hmm. So very small things like that that help you stay connected, mm-hmm. and that really, I, I I agree with this person. I really connected with with that, like without realizing it there were a lot of rituals that we do in my family we have dinner at the table every night my husband and i do end up staying to drink coffee not tea (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely wine um after the kids leave the table we'll stay and talk and sometimes we'll just both be on our phone looking at twitter and i'll be like oh my gosh look at this thing Mm -hmm. so it's not always like intense conversation Mm -hmm. but it's something that we do Mm -hmm every every evening and i realized oh those are good things that we're doing and and making sure that we are maintaining those rituals Mm -hmm. um i i will endeavor to do Mm -hmm. i love it i think showing somebody a funny story on twitter is like a really romantic thing that people do now if i'm sending if i'm sending (laughs) okay once again the few people that i send funny things on twitter to include you so (laughs) so yeah i I still validate that's a good idea now let's talk a little bit about what didn't exactly sit well with us. Sarah, what didn't sit well with you for this? So I'd already mentioned it felt a little individually focused, uh, right. kind of relying on the reader to work to make change in the relationships. But I was thinking about how challenging some of this could be, depending on who you're in a relationship with. But the emotional command systems really hit me funky. That's what I was going to say, too. Yeah, Yeah, go for it. it. Talk about it. um, It felt a little like extrapolating from unique ways in which our brain functions to start to create like unique personality types and then kind of isolating people's motivations for how we connect and how we exist in relationships 
in ways that felt really like disconnected. So it it just um, I also did not feel like that step in this whole sequence of ideas about how to increase connection felt very clear um, because it it moved from anything neurological, which would be very hard to do anyways, into right. um, very categorical ideas about if you approach relationships as a nest builder, uh, then this is what you should think about. And then you should also know this other person's command system and how their approach, it just, it just felt less clear for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, on top of that, it was difficult for me to, because these, these terms were all new to me and there were a bunch of them. So it was very difficult for me to retain the term and the definition. So even if I could have uh, connected with them, it was very difficult for me to retain the information because then they just started referring to it as the nest builder, but I really didn't understand. And then the executive, yes. and, and it was just difficult for me to understand and remember yes. all that. On top of which, I don't really relate to this idea that's in, uh, the same idea that's in these command centers, centers as in personality, yeah. different facets of personality mm-hmm. and even attachment, that these things are traits mm-hmm. of people that they have throughout their life it doesn't really allow people to really function and, and change that much throughout their throughout their life course so if you re- go go to relationships as nest builder you'll always be a nest builder and things like that which i just don't think mm-hmm. necessarily is true things change in your life and and you change um so i think that also is a reason why it kind of bugged me mm-hmm. is like you are in this um category box mm-hmm category um and this is how you are going to be when i just don't think that allows us to grow or change or adapt to new situations very well when we think in these concrete terms of command centers or personality or attachment style yes and i could answer all these surveys in the book that might help me understand which of these motivations although he's not describing them as motivations which of these command systems is maybe most predominant for me. but then i have to have the person i'm in a relationship with also complete these surveys um and then we have to somehow decide what does that mean when we come together and how we connect um it re- just reminds me of kind of these um along with personality types it's like these uh pop psych versions of how we can categorize ourselves which people really like right i really want to know maybe what they my do. enneagram type is my number yes. um or i really want to know which hogwarts house i'm in <laughs> but i'm not I honestly, I think that's way different. Like, obviously, you want to know what Hogwarts house you're in. And I never want to partner with a Slytherin. Uh, But yeah, Yeah, it's just not very, I'm just not sure it's very practically helpful. Right. I think that the other um, bits in this book is very practically helpful about, about, about bidding and how bidding in these different types of relationships and what it looks like and responsivity to, to bids, I think is much more practically helpful. Yeah. That being said, if the command center worked for you and it makes sense sure. in your mind, go go for yep. it, run with it. But just know also that you're allowed to change. Yeah. You don't have to be that one command center the rest of your life. Yes. Yep. And sometimes you're going to be a sensualist and in other situations, hopefully less of a sensualist. <laughs> <laughs> There's a really funny, oh, by the way, this is a tangent. Um, my sister got me onto TikTok this past two months. Have you done any TikTok at all? No. Oh, don't do it. 
because you will not be able to get off of it. It is incredible. But there's this one TikTok, I don't know her name, but she does this kind of like skit where it's her brain no it's logic the logic side of her brain talking to the sensual side of her brain talking to the heart side of her brain talking to another side of her brain i don't remember but anyway it's like about going on a first date and so whenever she has someone someone came over um she was like she's talking to the sensual part of her brain she was like and what did you do she's like yeah we got it on and then and then she was like heart how did that feel she's like i didn't really feel so great after anyway that reminded me of it. It's really hilarious. Go check out the TikTok we of that. Probably... I gave you no reference at all of how to find this person. <laughs> well, so if you find them, <laughs> job well done. Well, but if we understand that to be a bid for connection on your part, we could also, I could do the work to find it and potentially link it in our description of this mini pod. Oh, is that how bids work? It's just I say something into the universe and like I mean, I, people who... I always want to turn towards you, Patricia. I don't... I, I always want to turn towards you too. Wait, did I use my sensual? Was, was that the wrong one yep. I used? <laughs> Feels a little bit more like you're becoming an energy czar, but that's totally fine. <laughs> not actually sure. I don't know which, what any of that yeah, means. I'm not so sure either. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. They're all equally good or bad, just different. I don't know. Yeah, sure. See? It's the circle of life. Yep. Yeah, that chapter was more challenging for you and I. Good to know. <laughs> Obviously, if they since these didn't sit well with us, do we think that also means that it's difficult to implement? So if it's difficult to implement, or are there were there other things that were difficult to implement? Yeah, I mean I can't implement the command system, so I don't I don't know. And I, I went back and tried to to read it some more and look at the table that is included and I no I I couldn't you did much more than I did well I just did the audiobook straight through sure like (laughs) command centers nope (laughs) I listened to that uh, example that they used of the giant friend group camping and I was just like I don't I don't relate to any of these people why are they camping (laughs) (laughs) I also thought like none of these people would be friends (laughs) this doesn't make sense at all the commander in chief just bullied them all to get there. We're going to the mountain. Let's go. Yeah, I, I can't. Yes, I agree. I can't implement that. I think there's other things that probably could be challenging uh, to try in your own life. And I think the authors do a good job of acknowledging that throughout the book that um, that people will find different pieces of this, pieces of this hard. But the whole the mm-hmm. whole goal is to be more intentional about your relationships, and that takes effort. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree. That would be really hard for me to implement emotional command systems yeah so what would be challenging for me to implement i think is like when i was reading it it was like oh yeah bids pay attention to my kids bids but now that i'm a couple of weeks out it's not necessarily in the forefront of my mind so i think not just implementing them but also maintaining if i'm trying to affect change in my life that maintenance i think would be particularly challenging um, especially as things increase and we get more busy um after mm. the pandemic ends mm. if it ever ends this might be the our lives for eternity oh that got dark yeah. uh, <laughs> oh dear so unspoken pain um, unspoken pain i'm gonna read that as a, uh, a bid for emotional connection <laughs> our listeners also had some things that they thought would be really hard to um try so we got one question from a listener. Do you want to just read that one? Sure. Um, 
the question was about how often communication should happen in relationships and how often people's families of origin should be bidding for their attention. So we had a listener share that mm. their own family differs quite a bit from their partner's family and how often they bid and respond to bids, making for sort of uneven connection. And um, the listener wondered whether her efforts to help her husband connect to his family is important work to do or is she, quote, enabling kind of a problematic kind of connection? And who should carry the load on this in a relationship? So I think, I wonder if like the authors, they, they seem to be biased that maybe not necessarily that the women should, but that they do tend to carry the weight of this of this bidding. But I think the, the should should be um, divided between the pairs. But I think that first question about how often should we um, bid with our family is a really great question. And I think it's one that's hard to define because it might be family specific. So for me, um, I communicate with my younger brother not very often, once or twice a year, but whenever we do communicate, it feels meaningful. It We're able to connect, even if it's just over text. Mm-hmm. But I communicate with my sister multiple times uh, a week over text or, or over phone through multiple social media devices, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and those might be less meaningful. They might just be like what we we're talking about, like silly text or silly TikToks or whatever. But they build up over, over time. So I think it can um, depend on your specific relationship and the needs of that relationship. What are, what are your thoughts about that, Sarah? Yeah, I think I am um, struck by a few different things in this question. And the first is, why is this listener attempting to connect her husband and his parents through creating bids, opportunities for communication, uh, trying to respond to their communication if and when they do reach out, why she's initiating all these bids between these people. And I wonder if there is a motivation to bid for this connection and to continue to have them relate to each other in part because um, maybe they share kids and so there's some worry that Mm. their kids will lose out on a grandparent relationship that the kids don't have the ability to make emotional uh, bids for connection for because they're too young um, which seems like a really relevant reason to want to try to continue that connection. But part of what you could do is maybe shift the bids to rather than prompting your partner to try to connect and connect and connect with their parents, um, finding ways to help your child connect or inviting mm. the grandparents to be part of your child's life if that's part of the motivation. But the other thing I might be curious about is this um, – again, this kind of love map idea, how much we are aware of the um, uh, the priorities of our partner's life. And so while it might be a priority of this listener to be connecting with their family of origin, is it actually something that their partner finds to be soothing or healing or enjoyable? Is it something that interferes with their mm. hobbies, their interests, their work life? Do they find it really toxic or conflictual when their parents do connect? Is it a reminder that they don't feel very close and so they're more comfortable not connecting? So I think it's also an opportunity to maybe have some open conversations with your partner about um, this is an observation of mine and rather than me judge the amount of communication you all have from the way my family operates, is that a fit for you? 
or would you prefer there be more communication? And if you would prefer that, what would you like that to look like? Can, can we create our own family rituals that help support you connecting with your parents, but that still respect the internal model that you have about what you would like that relationship to be like? Yeah, and I also think Gottman doesn't, they don't really talk about this, but they're kind of pro-bid. But I think at some point when bids become exhausting to you, become stressful to you, uh, become a source of like negativity um, on on your life and drain maybe from your capacity to make and respond to bids from other people, maybe thinking about reducing the number of bids or how you're bidding, kind of echoing what you're saying, Mm -hmm. if it is in fact causing um, strain Mm -hmm. in, in your life, then um, I think that that might be a, a marker, at least, of perhaps a, a limit of the number yeah. of, of bids made. I do think they talk about it in terms of the responding piece, in uh, meaning they talk about that the probability yeah. a person will attempt to rebid once an initial bid has been rejected is close to zero, and that over time you're turning away or turning against a person bidding, that that person will withdraw or just kind of become defensive and not really want to engage. They're not going to continue bidding and bidding and bidding and rebidding. So there's, it's also possible that there might be some emotional heritage, to use the author's terms there, that this listener is either aware of or not aware of that's contributing to what this bid responding process looks like. And that would be very hard to figure out, I think, without, <laughs> without a therapist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That too. Without asking. Sure. Sure. Well, as a, as a therapist, I promote I promote either option. <laughs> True. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're right. I think probably first step is to ask, not like we're going to therapy. Uh, that voice was probably not the appropriate voice I should have I used. Say, but as a therapist, I I support the motivation, the tone. Maybe we could shift. Nonverbals are really really important when we think about hey. step. Or sharpen, sharpening your emotional communication skills. Maybe don't start with a cartoon voice about should we go to therapy. Listen, if if anything, I like to provide examples to our listeners of what not to sure. do. Understood. So another person talked about things that are difficult to um, implement. So they talked about the, the quote in the book, 94% of the time the way a discussion starts determines the way it will end. So the listener said, the hardest part to get right is the most important. Shoot, I hope I'm not a hopeless case. Any phrases that one can memorize? But I think it's a, like if it's so important to to start the discussion in a certain way, I think it's a a good idea that Gottman didn't really, uh, and declare, they didn't really say here are some phrases to use. I know on their website they have some phrases to use. But I think it's good to have a couple of of phrases in your back pocket, especially when we're stressed. We don't always think of things in the most um, abstract or effective or creative ways to come up with new ways to phrase how to start a discussion. Mm -hmm. Do you have any off the top of your head or a list? Yeah, I think this is uh, where the authors are talking about how to soften a startup, right? It's this idea that some people really begin conversations with what they term harsh startups, uh, where they can come in very critically, 
they can start with complaining about a person. They can sound really ungrateful. Uh, and these, the coming in with a harsh startup is can be really connected to carrying a lot of emotional pain or frustration or being really right. easily emotionally flooded and anticipating this. Like if I don't think this is going to go well, chances are if I've already decided that I'm going to come in pretty harsh. Um, and right. so rather than saying, oh, we never have, we never have fun together anymore. Uh, why don't, why don't you ever want to do anything with me? Why don't you ever want right. to hang out with me on the weekend? Is a, What's wrong with me? Is a really yeah. harsh startup that your partner's going to have more of a struggle thinking, ah, that was a bid for connection. Let me suggest right. different... You automatically feel yes. defensive, right? Absolutely. You're like, oh, what? Right. I'm not going to come yeah. up with a list of adventures that we're going to go on together tomorrow. Um, and so I think that they have uh, a few suggestions about how to soften that startup. And it's not going to be a mnemonic. I think you said the, the listener wanted some phrases to memorize, but they do have three ideas that they suggest in terms of beginning with something more positive. Um, mm. Like... Uh, such as I, I really enjoy hanging out with you on the weekend. Or remember when we, um, well, remember when we went to that museum a few months ago on that Saturday that you suggested. That was that was super fun. I really I really enjoyed that. Do you maybe want to try something like that this weekend? It's very very different than we haven't spent any time together the last few months. It's like dates right. dates don't even exist anymore. It's very different. So you can start with a positive. <laughs> And then I think second, they suggest expressing gratitude or appreciation. So rather than starting with a complaint about like, you know, the only time my family ever reaches out to me is when somebody dies. Do I not even exist in right. this family anymore? Is um, It's a little bit different to say, I really appreciate it when you all let me know that things are going on in the family. Um, and I'd love to know when family members are planning other kinds of get-togethers um, throughout the year um, is, I think, a pretty specific example they give in the book. And then the third strategy yeah. they suggest is to use I rather than you because to use things like, right. you, you could have responded to all my text messages, Sarah. If you had said that, <laughs> I might have gotten a little defensive. I did anyways, but <laughs> that's more about me than it is about you. <laughs> Whereas if you started with, uh, I was really worried when I didn't hear back from you for a while. I'm, I want to be able to support you in the way that you would find most helpful is totally different. And then I feel really guilty and then I just want to, I want to, I want to turn towards. And so, right. So, so when I talk to my husband about not responding to my text messages or emails, mm-hmm. um, th- I don't use any of those things. Yeah. No. Oh, so that's, yeah, it's good for me. Yeah. I, I don't, I just tell him, I do, I just tell him, was your phone lost? It's just not the oh, best. Damn. Like, oh, damn. Yeah, so for the listener, that's a phrase. I say it with a smile on my face, and then he laughs. Sure, those nonverbal, those nonverbals are really hard to read, though. Those are sarcastic nonverbals. Yep, yep. I believe that was in step four. Uh, yeah, so for the listener, don't memorize that phrase about was your phone lost, uh, but maybe start with positives, expressing gratitude, and using I. I agree. Sure. And I'm grateful for your conclusion of all of that. I can't wait for us to talk about it more. How did I do? So good. That was really believable. Thank you. I think it's really important that the authors also make a point (laughs) that the goal is not to substitute positive feelings for negative ones, that the goal is to really about experience, I think what they call like the whole breadth of the emotional palette, that it's not just about kind of minimizing um, 
negative emotions in order to start with a positive. You're right that if it's not genuine and you can't find a way to say it that is actually going to be soft, it's going to come out really sarcastic. Um, And (laughs) no matter how much eye contact I maintain, uh, I'm going to be uh, hearing the hidden agenda there. Um, right. Because we pay attention to that stuff. So I think sometimes, like, prefacing that what with, um, I just want you to know that I'm I'm frustrated right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and say this as as clearly um, as I possibly can. Might help get rid of some of that um, sarcasm. But at the same time, when you say things like, when you say things like that, I'm really frustrated. I'm gonna try as hard. That doesn't absolve you from trying hard Mm -hmm. like that doesn't absolve like mean statements you say from not actually being mean just because you say what i'm about to say might be might be me i don't want you to hear it as mean it just might come across mean you still have an obligation to try to say something kindly yes and (laughs) more more gentler when you start when you start like that if 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 one of the goal is also to be good listeners uh, i mean how you start that bid, the point is you're affecting, you're impacting how the person you're talking to can listen. Can they focus on being right. really interested? Are they going to ask you follow-up questions? Are they going to really tune in? Or did you just kick off their emotional command system of commander in charge? Anger? In charge? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. That, that one confused yeah. me. All I could think of was like the CEO. Sure. Um, But also I think that it's important to realize that these soft starts might look different depending on the relationship, Mm -hmm. right? And you you can experiment with what feels genuine to you, but also how, uh, but also communicates an effective Mm -hmm. way to the person you're trying to communicate with and and try different strategies. Mm -hmm. So the way I communicate um, a, 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 concern or a complaint to my husband or to my child or to my mother mm-hmm. all look a, lo- a lot different because we have an emotional history that is is very yes. very very right. different so you you learn the ways that you can talk to people and have uh, these these complaints mm-hmm. differently yeah. um, using these soft starts yeah and i think if um i think that's a really important point right that our emotional history it forms the foundation for our current relationships and also we right. carry it forward with us in the relationships that we retain from that emotional history. But if that makes it harder to soften a startup, for example, which I, I agree with you, is definitely possible. It's also one of those strategies that maybe we could use in relationships in the workplace, for example, that maybe don't ha- maybe don't have quite as much emotional baggage uh, or um, as longitudinal of experiences. It doesn't mean that people are in workplaces without frustration uh, or subjugation, but if I am facilitating a meeting, if I am trying to build in one of these rituals that these authors suggest in the workplace, can I start by first naming what is really going well and talking about what's really positive, what I really also appreciate and what I'm grateful for about how the team is working together, and then use things like I am really wondering about could we improve in these ways, but I'm wondering what you all think about that. If I I set up an agenda to start that way, I'm probably not getting to that third piece and having people tune me out and turn against or away from those bids about how we can connect together. Yeah, and I and and what I like about what you're saying too is it's it's not um, becoming an 
inappropriate kind of work relationship. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about positives in our own personal life. We're talking still maintaining this this circle of the relationship that we have as a work environment mm-hmm. um, and the positive things that we are doing within the work context. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that a lot. Like you can still translate these skills um, to across these mm-hmm. different relationships and across these different environments whether it's family or work or 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 friendship but they don't necessarily look look exactly the Mm -hmm. same the content is not the same um but some structures like bids and how you bid and how you um, form these positive safe emotionally safe environments are um very very similar yeah that makes sense Well, thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this book and enjoyed it so much um, that you will join us for our July book. In July, we're going to talk about Me Too. We're going to talk about the all or nothing marriage, how the best marriages work. Um, This is by Dr. Eli Finkel. And actually, Dr. Finkel is going to join us on the next podcast. So um, join read along with us tell us what you think about the book you can email us all of your thoughts at attachedpodcast at gmail.com or you can send us whatever you want through our social media we'd love to hear about it if you have any questions about the book cub send us on that same emails um, attachedpodcast at gmail.com thank you all so very much have a good summer Attached is hosted by Patricia Robertson, Sarah Woods, and Jacob Priest. Edited by Kylie Hubbard. Music by Robbie Robertson. Mm-hmm.